Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. Messaging plays an important role in the political sphere. The Dems are engaged in a messaging war over impeachment right now, and their main message seems to be an appeal to civility. Trump should absolutely be convicted, but the Dems aren't directing their case to appeal to public opinion. If they were, their messaging would be, Trump's a little bitch, and if you vote to acquit, you are too. Instead, they're relying on the public to arrive at their desired conclusion based on academic and legal principles as well as morality. Every person in the Senate is making a political determination as to the repercussions of their vote, with Republicans thinking they're better off siding with Trump's base. The Republicans are making a determination they can message their vote to acquit better than the Dems can message their case for conviction. On this episode, we discuss various examples of messaging unrelated to impeachment, why some messages work, why some don't, and how to craft propaganda for maximum effect. Yeah, messaging is a really important tool to you know drive your agenda, and it's really weird how the Dems seem to never have an actual agenda that's for the working class. They run on that, but then they lose steam. And it it feels like every one of the examples we're getting ready to present here, it's as if like somebody went back and decided to neoliberalize it in a terrible way and then like spent all their time trying to well, I don't know what that word is, like sterilize it. So there's no emotion behind it. And then you end up with these really just I guess the word is sterile non-emotional, technocratic solutions to problems that don't actually address the working class, and you spend all your time questioning what the fuck is going on and what's my reality. And the first one we have is Joe Biden says, we want to give you $2,000. $600 is not enough. Literally, Joe Biden says on January 10th, $600 is simply not enough when you have to choose between paying rent or putting food on the table. We need $2,000 stimulus checks. So then what's he do? He says, um, you already got $600, so Joe Biden here, we're going we're gonna to do you a solid. We're going we're gonna to bump you up that $1,400 to get you back to that $2,000 I promised you. So it's like your parents saying, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys $100, but since your grandma already gave you 60 bucks, I'm just going to give you 40 bucks. And look, look, you got $100 now. It doesn't make any sense. The math doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, it's similar to what they do in tips, right? It's literally the tip calculus of minimum wage. Oh, you're a minimum wage employee, but you got tips, so those don't count. Yep. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, we're going to pay minimum wage, the prevailing minimum wage, but yep, you you owe me money back now because I paid you uh, three hours when there was nobody here in minimum wage, now you owe us back the tip. What? Same shitty idea. The Dems fucking suck. So the original messaging of $2,000 was to win the Georgia election, and it arguably paid off. They said... If you vote for us, we'll give you $2,000. Like, that's good yeah, message. break the tie. It was effective, and it worked. But, like, where's my fucking money? Yeah, where's my money? We need to control the Senate to get you $2,000. That's step one. Step two? Step three, get your money. Right? It's the underpants gnomes thing, right? Step two is literally them passing a law that just gives everybody $2,000 without any means testing. So now you have a bunch of people who are not only talking about the fact that Joe Biden's an asshole for lying to you. You have the Republicans who are going to fight this because... Why wouldn't they? Yeah, why wouldn't they, right? It's politics. Oh, the deficit's blowing up. You have blue dog Democrats, pieces of shit, who are saying the same thing. You got Joe Biden, who's muddled the conversation now, saying, 
Well, you already got six two thousand or six hundred. So now, if I give you fourteen hundred, that's that's two thousand. Makes no fucking sense. And then now you also have some nonsense being pushed around about thirty six hundred dollars for every kid over the course of a year, but it's only for married couples up to one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and all this means testing. So people are like on Facebook and other shitty social media questioning, "Am I even going to get the money?" Because there is no clear messaging. Because at the end of the day, the Democrats don't really know how to message because they don't know what their objective is. The Republicans know what their objective is. To fuck over the working class, seize power, and increase corporations and corporate control. That's it. Make money. The Democrats are like, we want to do the same thing, but we're not going to be so overt about it. So I guess we're going to help you a little bit, maybe? They figured out the right messaging to, we're literally going to give you money if you vote for us. But then they're like, oh shit, what do we do now that we won? Like, just commit to the con and give everybody $2,000. Like, who cares? Just conjure the money out of thin air. Yeah, $2, Like, you won. It's like the pittance you pay for winning. You have a mandate. You you own the Senate by 50% with the tiebreaker. I mean, that's a literal mandate. You own the House by 10 votes. That's a literal mandate. But the problem is, is that Joe Biden's sleepy. So you really have two people in office who don't give a shit about the working class. Joe Biden got to where he is by being poor and selling his soul to the rich to get where he is in power that's how it works kamala harris started off i don't even know i really don't give a shit but she's never wanted she's always been in the petite bourgeois class and she wants to be part of the capitalist class and she will serve the capitalist class no matter what because she's part of the pmc she's a managerial class whack job so the messaging is basically we're going to help the poor a little bit but mostly we're going to make sure that there's no real issues with the market so the rich can keep being rich at the end of the day Right. And the whole idea behind even providing stimulus is to provide just enough money so that the poors can have the opportunity to continue working to support all the dumbass retail that needs to be opened so that rich Karens can go buy shampoo at a fancy hair salon or some dumb thing. The majority of people that work in retail don't buy from that retail spot. Unless, of course, it's Walmart and we don't really consider that retail. It's more of slave labor. Right, because they give you like a 2% discount and they don't slash your tires or something if you spend your check there. But for the most part, you know, if you if you work at Kohl's, you're not going out and getting a Kohl's credit card and getting a bunch of coupons and shit. JCPenney, that's not the, that's not what the, where you're buying clothes from because normally you're getting paid less money to be there. So people that make more money can go there and buy the shit, the shitty clothes. This episode is not sponsored by Kohl's. So what is the Dems solution to this $2,000 problem? Because... They're going to try as they can to means test this, to reduce limits, to... I don't have any idea what their end game is because they can't even whip their party together to make a coherent statement. Like, like it doesn't make... I don't know what they're going to do. They're incompetent. That's for one. I don't think you're not going to get $2,000. I think you're going to get maybe $1,400. I, maybe. But they're going to means test it. So if you make more than $50,000 as a single person, you don't get it or $100,000, which... I mean, it's it's great. It helps out the working class, the lower end of the working class, but the upper end of the working class, like in New York, $200,000 still isn't a lot of money in New York, in Miami. Like there are places in epicenters where there's lots of people where cutting people off on that level, they're still working class. I don't even understand why you would do this. It makes no sense to me at all. And I don't get it. So you're talking about cost of living is different in various cities. It costs a lot more to live in an urban center like New York or Los Angeles than it does to live in Butte, Montana. How dare you put words in my mouth? But yes, that's exactly correct. 
I think what the Dems are going to manage to do here is means test it so that there is a, a group of people that received $600 from Trump and they will not receive the $1,400 from the Dems. And those voters are going to be like, what the hell? Well, I mean, if daddy, if daddy Trump bucks can give us money, you know, where are my Biden bucks at? Where are my Biden my Joe money? Yeah. That's crazy to think that the real champion of the working class is Donald J. Trump. At this point in time, he has provided more direct payments than the democratically controlled Congress. Hopefully that changes, but who the fuck knows? He has provided more tax stimulus to the working class and direct payments than the Democrats have. Now, there is a poison pill here where your taxes are going to go up this year <laughs> because of the um, tax cuts for the wealthy. But with that being said, Trump is a maniac, but... At the eyes of most voters, he helped them more than Biden has. Even with all his executive orders, he's only targeting small niche people that aren't really a large voting block. So it's a very interesting, I don't know, play by the Biden administration to already like isolate and alienate an entire voting block of people. If you are a college educated, bougie ass or petite bourgeois person, you're going to be really pissed off that the national debt just went up, your taxes are going up. And you did not receive $2,000, which at least buys your kids books for college. That's a real thing, right? There are real costs associated here. And it doesn't make any sense to try to save $50 billion out of the fucking deficit when money's fake and, and modern monetary um, policy doesn't mean anything. I mean, if every if every country is basically initiating like quantitative easing or giving back money, there is no real inflation because it's it's common currency it doesn't make any fucking sense and and that demographic of people will absolutely be bitter and to some extent i don't really give a shit but on the other hand they are a voting block and if you're a politician you should be attempting to win voters and the dems seem completely disinterested in either helping the working class or appealing to demographics of voters that they need the support of in order to continue remaining in power and at the end of the day i don't want republicans ever to have power again our goal is through electoralism at the local level to grow people that are, can actually move up into the you know, state and federal party or federal politics, I should say, and begin to rule one day. The Republican Party should never hold power again, and they will if the Democrats don't have a clear message. If they keep alienating blocks and blocks of people, you're going to end up with you know, basically flip-flopping of the House and the Senate because the Democrats will get nothing done. Yeah, again, there will be nothing observable or measurable to actual voters associated with the Dems being in power. And they'll be it's not that they're going to commit to the Republicans, but they're going to more or less say, well, the Democrats didn't do shit for me. I'm going to try this other red team now because voters have zero memory. They don't give a fuck either. They don't care. Do you hold their ideals? Ish. Ish. Like, are you close enough to what they believe in or what you're saying resonate with them? Oh, yeah, here's what resonates. We're going to give you $2,000, but then we're not really going to give you $2,000. And if you make too much money, you don't deserve the money because fuck you. That's why. <laughs> that's the Dems plan right now. That's a, that's a literal Dems messaging. The next topic of messaging uh, is unrelated to the Dems, but it is related to this idea of justice, which the Dems apparently and allegedly subscribe to. It's police reform. So Trump would famously say, all these protests are happening in democratically controlled cities. You have Portland, you have Minneapolis, you have Atlanta. Yes, he's objectively correct. All of the Dems in those cities are complete corporate Dems, shit libs, neoliberal, like whatever pejorative you want to use to call them, you know, centrists. 
the police reform messaging in general has been Black Lives Matter and defund the police. And defund the police is really just a mainstream popularization and a neutering of the actual intended desired term of abolishing the police. But that's the messaging that the mainstream has picked up on for whatever reason. Propaganda works. Organizations have adopted defund as kind of a benign term that doesn't really mean anything. And that's kind of the problem. So defund the police doesn't mean anything. On its face, it literally means just give less money to the police. And the direct consequence of that would be, oh, well, stuff is going to be less safe, which is a point of view. And it paints that picture to low information voters who are like, why would I want to be less safe? I want to give more money to the police so I'm more safe. And that's a messaging problem that needs to be overcome because the general population is susceptible to propaganda like this. So you have Black Lives Matter, which is, I think, generally a pretty good term. It talks about racial justice. It doesn't necessarily specifically speak to police-related issues, but they're certainly related. So the bigger problem is that these two messaging slogans are conflated and the root cause is never addressed. So the root cause related to police brutality and injustice is that the police exist to preserve the class divide. And we've talked about this on a bunch of episodes. But more generally, what is a slogan? What is the messaging that correctly articulates this issue? And it can't be defund the police or abolish the police because those are much too benign on the defund the police side and abolish is way too harsh for most people. Yeah, I think why certain propaganda and slogans work is they try to minimize the amount of words by making something black and white. And, and that's not meant to be a pun. It's meant to literally be, you know, decision left or decision right. That's all you get. And what's happening with Black Lives Matter is that it's a beautiful messaging because it brings the issues of police brutality to the forefront, in, in particular to race relations. And let's just be very clear, the police um, can murder somebody and plant drugs on people and not go to jail. And that's the fundamental issue. Defunding the police and abolishing the police do not prosecute criminals. And that's what it comes down to. Like there there are fundamental things that you probably still want to have a armed police, I guess, force for. Maybe you don't. I really don't see a reason for it, but I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. I guess, you know, one of the things maybe is you want to investigate uh, a kidnapping or something in which you need additional resources than yourself. I mean, we can't all be from the movie Taken. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. So you still want, you know, a force of individuals that can help you solve certain crimes, right? What you don't need is an armed gang of individuals roaming the streets looking for trouble. And that's what it comes down to, is Black Lives Matter basically say, we have extrajudicial executions of our of our citizens. The police are not held accountable for those actions. So Black Lives Matter is a slogan is, you know, we need to understand why this is happening and fix it. But if you take a look at how the slogans have been talked about, it's defund police, oh, they're anarchists, oh, it's Antifa, and the the right and the media has done a great job of muddling what the dirt, you know, making it muddy so you can't understand what the actual problems are. And that's what happens with the Dems, right? You know, they don't want to defund the police because they're the ones that put them in power. They're the ones that help put the police in place to make your neighborhoods, quote unquote, safer. I mean, Joe Biden's signature move was the crimes bill. We literally put people in prison for longer periods of time than whites, minorities. Because they had crack, which was fundamentally a drug of choice in the impoverished areas. Because it was much cheaper than cocaine. Coke, 
shit, you can blow all day long if you want to. Doesn't matter. Has Connor Biden. Yeah. You can be Connor. Yeah. <laughs> you can be the president of the sun getting coked up all day. Not a big deal. Right? But if you start smoking it, now you need to go to prison for 20 years. So what it comes down to is you could say reform the police. Right? Reform the criminal justice system. But that doesn't make any, reform doesn't make any sense. It basically should be prosecute bad cops. I mean, that's a literal term that should happen. Prosecute bad cops. Remove immunity. Right? That's it. Think, like, if if someone in the post office didn't deliver your mail, they get prosecuted for mail fraud. Literally. And they're federal employees. If the person in in Florida who had access government computers to blow the whistle on COVID cases in Florida can be prosecuted for um, computer crimes then why can't other state employees or city employees be prosecuted? If the city clerk committed voting fraud, they'd be prosecuted. But when a cop kills somebody, they're not prosecuted. That's the fundamental issue. And the slogans like defund the police and abolish the police and Black Lives Matter don't explicitly get to that accountability imbalance. It basically is you have to find out what the terminology is people want to see. The number one word should be accountability. That's it. I mean, it really comes down to accountability. And you can't hold somebody accountable that's hidden behind the blue firewall, the blue wall, or whatever they call it, where they don't snitch on each other, where the city council protects the police chief because, for some reason, crime stats help with um, property value. So property value helps with what the coffers can bring in. And the coffers, what you can bring in through taxes, is what funds the city. And that's what makes mayors of larger cities viable for governor. That's the fundamental reason why you don't want crime in your cities. Not to help the citizens, it's so that city council and the mayor and everybody that's that's doing little league politics can move to the um, minor leagues. It's a stepping stone for politicians. Absolutely. So it's all about crimes. It's all about, I had the lowest property taxes, but look, at we got more parks than anybody else. We have less crime than everybody else. Our streets are cleaner than everybody else. We have better water than everybody else, Right. Our, our property values keep going up. We're the number one city in whatever state you're in. Or we're the number one city to raise your family in. All of those things drive politicians to make decisions that keep the police funded because they want to protect the status quo. So defunding the police is antithetical to those objectives. You want the police to have money so they can keep crime stats low. But the real underlying problem is this absence of accountability. So a slogan like police the police or police accountability now is articulative. Is that a word? Yeah, I let you, you can make it up. That sounds good to me. You're going to allow it. Okay, great. Uh, articulative of... Now you're speaking of articulology, right? <laughs> the the study of articulation? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm an okay. articulologist. <laughs> <laughs> so those slogans articulate what the problem is. And I don't think there's a, a person out there that is actually reachable through messaging that wants to constructively solve these problems that can watch the George Floyd murder video and say, you know what we need? We need cops to not be accountable for murdering black people. That that person does not exist. They aren't reachable if they don't have that perspective. So you don't have to worry about reaching them. Just ignore that segment of the population. Work on reaching the people that you can reach. And that happens by articulating that accountability is the problem with the police and that that is the solution that's needed. Yeah, I mean, think about the cognitive dissonance that happened on the Capitol when they stormed it and people had literal Blue Lives Matter flags and hitting police with them. Your Uncle Bootlicker 
was slapping at the police, trying to get by them, and getting mad that the police weren't giving this entire ass free pass. And the police are just there, again, to beat the shit out of working class people. They sometimes take it easy on people that quote-unquote support them, or have whiter skin, or whatever it is, but they still don't give a fuck. They're there to enforce rules that were put in place by politicians to create a capitalist class that can be maintained. All right, let's move on to Medicare for All. Hey, what's Medicare for All? I don't know because there's no messaging on it. I heard that term before and I'm confused. Is it is it that I have to be 65 to get Medicare? Well, the general intent behind Medicare for All is to lower the eligibility age from 65, which is where it is now, to incrementally lower until everybody has Medicare, hence Medicare for All. And it's generally covered by a, a tax uh, as an individual that you will pay some percentage of your income three percent four percent i don't know what the percentage is but it's some fixed number it's part of your taxes to receive health care through a single payer government administered system dot com but that's a whole mouthful and it's not clearly articulated and it expresses an outcome a policy solution but it doesn't necessarily express how we're going to get there or why this policy is desirable the other more fun problem is everybody screaming how are you going to pay for it yeah that's the best how are you going to pay for it and again, messaging is trying to reduce the number of words you have to use to describe something. The only modern politician who tried doing that was Bernie, in which he tried to say something like, you already pay a medical tax. You're, you, what you have to pay your employer, as your part of your cost, and your deductible, is a medical tax. You already pay it. But that messaging is lost because people are like, I love my private insurance. No, you fucking don't. Nobody I know loves your fucking private insurance. The only people who love their private insurance are the CEOs, the companies that get the platinum package because they are ahead of a Fortune 500 company and they cannot die of COVID. No real person likes their insurance. Yeah, not a single real person likes their insurance. The only people that I know that love their insurance sometimes are people that are on Medicaid because they can go see a doctor without the stress of paying for it because they can't pay for it because they're too poor to pay for it, but at least they're covered medically. Whereas somebody that has private insurance is like, well, do I go to the hospital or should I wait in the morning because if I go to the hospital, it's going to cost me $1,200. If I go to the doctor, it's going to cost me $300, but I'm bleeding out of my abdomen and I really can't tell if that's good or bad. But I'm willing to tough it out for six hours. I'll go to, I'll go to the, the um, non-emergency room, what are the urgent care centers, and see if I can, you know, get them to staple my stomach back together. Sometimes they say yes. Sometimes they say no. You know, but th- what's the messaging, right? That, that's the question here. What the hell is the messaging when it comes to Medicare for all? People who are on Medicare know what the Medicare gap is. They donut hole. Where they basically have fixed income and they get fucked by Bush's donut hole rule. Part D, whatever the hell it is, where they have to pay more in prescriptions. That's a literal thing people hate. People hate that. A lot of elderly people know that Medicare blows. Now, if you happen to have a pension or a union worker and you had good insurance to roll over, don't have to worry about it. But if you're like most people, you don't have that. So you end up with shitty coverage because Medicare is fucking terrible. There's a generation called the baby boomers, and there's a lot of them. And yuck. The healthcare system is stressed right now because of the sheer number of older people that are becoming Medicare eligible. But the larger point in all of this is that Medicare is generally a good thing. It provides health care to people that would otherwise not have it and expanding access to health care for people that do not have it by lowering the eligibility age is objectively a good thing. But that's hard to articulate. What What is Medicare for people that don't have it? Why would I want that? I've never seen Medicare. I'm under the age of 65. Why would I want it? I have insurance now. I mean, it's it's fine. I pay for it. 
So what the messaging needs to be is you pay for healthcare right now. If we switch to a single payer government plan like Medicare, you will continue to pay for healthcare. And the intent would be that it is cheaper because there is not a profit motive. And then Bernie tried to do this where he talks about why are insurance companies making billions and billions of dollars every year? And it's because there's a profit motive. You sounded just like him. Holy shit. (laughs) That's crazy. And it doesn't make sense from a system perspective to say, okay, we have this fixed cost that everybody collectively in the entire nation pays for healthcare, but it actually costs some number that's smaller than that if you take away the profit incentive of healthcare providers and hospitals and insurance. So why don't we just talk about how the system is set up wrong? And that's to some degree what Bernie tried to do, but this messaging has been absolutely muddled with the whole forced to vote dog shit. And people don't really understand, like, Healthcare is the biggest issue right now. It's my biggest personal policy point that I'm trying to advocate for. People need access to healthcare. Sum the total amount of healthcare expenditure in the United States, divide it by the number of people, and that's how you pay for healthcare. Like, that messaging is super brain dead simple for people to understand. They don't feel like they're getting cheated, and they have access to a system that already exists that people are already using. Think about it this way. How many people like to go to the doctors? I do not enjoy going to the doctor. And there's some reasons why. There's always hidden costs, right? There's some other things like I don't want to get stabbed. That's fine. You know, there's x-rays and stuff. But, like, I don't know if I'm going to get an x-ray if it's going to cost me $100 or $500. I have no idea. The issue is that they say in a capitalism, they, as in a bunch of liars, that if you have choice, you can make a choice. The issue, though, is that Every single doctor colludes with one another, and there's real, really no choice because everybody's in the same network. So how the hell can you have a choice on the pricing if everybody's in the same network? And then they're allowed to charge fees for building fees, but if the doctors own the building, guess what? They can charge you for the visit and the building fee. So they don't want Medicare for all or single payer because they lose their lobbying power to ask for more money continuously and take money from your pocket. One of the reasons why it dies is you'll see some groups of people like the, you know, you're practitioners, your EI doctors, individuals who are on the front lines who really care for the patients saying we need we need single payer. But the people that are in private practices who are doing, you know, boutique hip replacements, they don't want to go to a single payer because they're going to lose their profit motive. And it's just infighting that also muddles the muddles the um, message because there's no singular message that can cover every single thing. Because it's a system we gotta talk about, you know, retooling healthcare. What's that look like? What does it really mean to get rid of billers? How much does you have to call and pay a bill? You have to have an HSA or FSA because you have a high deductible plan. Or you have to make sure that you're hitting your deductible. Or what's my copay today? What do I owe on insurances? What happens if you get rid of all that overhead? Like how cheap could it be if the individuals that are spending all their time doing billing can now move into stuff like, I don't know, environmental policy or in getting into research labs or doing things that actually move society forward instead of listening to you bitch about why they charged you for a regular visit when it's supposed to be your yearly free physical. I don't know what the solution is to this one. It's a big problem, but really it comes down to is removing neoliberalism from any policy decision ever made. And at the end of the day, Medicare for all is a neoliberal policy. It intends to have a single payer plan where you pay the government and then the government turns around and defers basically autonomy to private healthcare providers. It's still better than our current 
absolutely terrible hellscape of capitalism, but it's a neoliberal plan. Uh, the next messaging is with regard to China and COVID. Ooh, ooh, ooh. This week, uh, PBS's Frontline series did an episode called China's COVID Secrets. And Keep going. From my perspective, it was effectively propaganda to blame China for all of the problems associated with COVID. It was kind of a wild ride in that they have you know very serious people talk about what China did wrong, but they omit a pretty key fact, which is that China informed the World Health Organization on December 31st, and this is a quote, of cases of pneumonia of unknown etiology, which is unknown cause, detected in Wuhan City, Hubei province of China. So there's all this muttering, basically, in this documentary about how China didn't tell anybody. They, they just made it a secret. It's China's COVID secret. And it's a, it's a wild jump of how science works, which is we have observed cases of an unknown illness. We have no fucking clue what it is. Or why it's spreading, how it's spread. Or like, we literally know nothing. People are sick and they are like, their lungs are exploding. Like, we know nothing. So the first couple cases of COVID in China were, were in late December. China did tests. They originally determined that it was in some way, shape, or form potentially related to SARS. They didn't really know what the fuck was going on. But they reported to the World Health Organization that on December 31st, some shit was going down. And this frontline documentary attempts to state that, well, China kept it a secret. And the whole premise of this is flawed because it's not like China knew. They did not know that there was a new coronavirus. They had no fucking clue what was happening. And at this point in time, there were something like 50 cases, like a, a relatively low number of cases relative to the 200,000 the U.S. Ex has experienced for the last five months. So what is the proportional response that you would expect out of China? And looking back historically... Everybody wants to, well, China should have gone into complete and total lockdown. And guess what? They kind of did that on January 23rd by saying, we're going to go into lockdown and everybody's going to wear masks because we've understood that this is airborne. Yeah, so let's take another system approach to this. Why would you tell the WHO about a disease unless you were able to at least determine that the disease was new, right? I mean, that would be irresponsible. Like, definitionally, you can't know it's new until you know it's new. Yes, yeah, so you have to run tests against it. Now, are we saying there wasn't propaganda on either side? There might have been. There's always posturing, right? You don't want to be the embarrassing person that has the newest, you know, herpes on your lip. But at the same time, China did have some, you know, responsibility of actually making sure it was new. So they have to run lab tests. And the other thing is that they wouldn't have known it was a new disease until enough cases of severe pneumonia showed up. And we know just from the U.S. and other places that severe pneumonia is a small percentage of the actual number of sick, right? Most of the time you get a cold. So if you get a cold, are you going to go to the doctor? No. Having a hard time breathing? Yeah. But if 40 cases show up or 100 cases show up, but you're at 40 different hospitals, one case per hospital isn't probably enough to start correlating anything. So you have to have statistical, like empirical evidence for anything to be brand new or to even on the radar. 
it, it's just basically a stacking of errors, just like any other error stuff. It's not like it's a bunch of unknowns. And whenever time you have a stacking of unknowns, it's really hard to make any type of appropriate decision because no matter what you do is going to be a wrong decision and the thing that the documentary completely glossed over on the messaging that china is bad is that china figured out how to prevent covid from becoming an absolute shit show and they provided a path as to how to deal with it to prevent it from being an absolute shit show and some basically a year later the u.s is still having a hundred thousand cases and three thousand deaths a day Whereas China has had fewer cases total, if you believe the numbers and it's not propaganda and we don't really know one way or another, but from a, a higher level perspective, China's economy is functioning. People are out and about participating in activity with each other. And I mean, that's true in the U.S. because nobody's following any rules. But the difference is China, they're not dying. Right. Like this idea that China is faking their numbers to the extent that if there was a mass casualty event, it would not be observable externally is is kind of far-fetched i think the u.s has enough probably spies sitting around places it's like china has spies sitting around places that you'd be able to get numbers out of hospitals quickly that's how they know and you'd only really have to get numbers out of one hospital you know you have statistical sampling where you choose one hospital that's representative of an area and if that hospital has 300 covid cases and china's reporting you know seven that's a problem Yep. So the the reason why, you know, the messaging on this one is, is a little bit different than the previous messaging we talked about is that the previous messaging, um, defund the police, um, the $2,000 checks and the Medicare for all are trying to be pushed by politicians for posturing um, domestically. So the resources allocated to this are much smaller than the posturing of large nation states trying to run psyops on entire populations of people, which is why you have large, trusted, quote unquote, trusted news sites running misinformation campaigns for different governments. I mean, China this week, or was it last week, asked the WHO to investigate or somebody to investigate whether or not the virus originated in the United States, because now that that's that's how you weaponize the medical community. Because if one side is going to weaponize it, this other side had better respond to it or they're going to be left in the dust. The same thing about election interference, the same thing about spies, you know, allies and NATO and all that fun stuff we talk about, the, the political posturing, um, international nonsense that makes for great TV isn't necessarily as active as like James Bond is, but it's at least, you know, a game of 4D chess, right? There are people who are thinking about where to drop messages, who you're going to be a source to. All these things, and at this level, the messaging is really, really well crafted. Somebody provided PBS with enough information to create a documentary that was almost entirely speculation and misinformation. And the sources and the doctors and all that were readily available because that's their job is to be sources of misinformation. And this was a dedicated attack, or I don't want maybe that's worse. Dedicated is not the word. This is a direct attack. I mean, basically designed to keep stoking anti-China rhetoric because we're still within a geopolitical game for tariffs. We're still in a geopolitical game for Africa, for the Eastern um, Asia areas, for Western Europe. There's a lot of places in which China and U.S. are geopolitically fighting each other for dominance, whether or not it's, it's capital, whether or not it's market-based, whatever it is. They are basically at war with one another to try to get the best footing. So this is just a very basic example of nationalism. And the U.S. is 
effectively as a nation saying China bad. China bad. And you're seeing this play out through, you know, public broadcasting, carrying water for what the messaging is. And it's not to say, again, that China didn't make mistakes in the COVID rollout. But saying that China kept secrets and China made mistakes is completely different messaging. The main focus of this, of this episode is to demonstrate how national news media distorts our messaging and distorts the needs of the people. What we keep championing here in Worker Movement is that it's important to get local and to get active locally. To really hone your message on the group of weirdos that you have control over. And by control, I don't mean actual control, but you have the ability to influence them in some way, shape, or form. Whether or not that's your kids' little league, whether or not that's at work at the water cooler, whether or not it's at you know a book club that you belong to, or you go and you have game night at the local comic book store and you're playing Magic the Gathering. Whatever it happens to be, you go get drunk with your friends. You have the ability to influence certain people, so it's important for you to find an issue that your community, that which is your local community, your people, your friends, your circle of influence wants to champion and really just go and drive that change. It could be as simple as we want to provide clean drinking water, or it could be, you know, we want to increase access to the library during COVID. How do we do that? Right. There's a lot of things that you can champion that would make a bigger difference in the world than trying to fight for any one of the solutions. In fact, one of the biggest things you can do, and actually is something on this list, you can literally run for city council and terminate the contract with the police. You can literally do that. You want to talk about change, real change? You should get you and three of your other weirdos run for city council solely on restructuring the police force to be community service activists instead. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.